You can get through this. It may be hard, but you can get through this. That's really why I wrote the book. I, I ultimately have learned uh, that, that if you live transparently and authentically, people admire your strengths, but they're drawn to your weaknesses. Welcome to the Twins Talk It Up podcast, where my identical twin brother and I share our thoughts and provide solutions for executives and professionals who want to become masters of speaking and communicating so that they can maximize their influence and impact. Yes, we are identical twins who happen to also be public speakers, executive coaches, and sales leaders. Our company, DSP Leadership Group, focuses on equipping leaders who want to speak with confidence and authority, all while using their authentic voice. Here on the Twins Talk It Up podcast, we present topics about communication and leadership from our perspective as individuals and as twins. Welcome to the Twins Talk It Up podcast. What do you suppose is more inspiring to hear? A story where you only hear about triumph and victories and great things going on? Or a story where you've seen the hero, the organization overcome challenges, not give up, and end up finding incredible success. My twin brother and I are so excited to have our next guest on. He recently produced a book that we're going to dig into today, but I want to introduce my good friend, founder and chief evangelist of High Gear, and that is Vaughn Thurman. It is a leading no-code workflow automation platform provider based in the greater Frederick, Maryland area. Vaughn has a passion for the tech community and for supporting entrepreneurs as you're going to hear when we dig into his life and we dig into his new book. Vaughn, welcome to Twins Talk It Up. How are you? Oh, excellent, and thank you for having me. It's my honor and privilege to be here. This is Danny, and Vaughn, we're so excited to have you on board today. Uh, one, because you're in a community that uh, I love. Uh, Dave and I, we talk about this all the time. Uh, I live, breathe, eat, dream, sleep, everything in this community. So I'm really excited to have you on board to really get a chance to talk to you a little bit more in depth. So what a pleasure to have you on our program. I know that my twin and I are, you know, we're, we're pretty good friends with you and supporting each other in so many different ways, but you have a book as Dave stated, but before we dig into the book, I would like our audience to learn a little bit more about your company. Tell us about High Gear and why you made a decision to place a focus here and sell your other company, which by the way, was a managed services provider business, which is the reason why I think this is why I'm happy to have you on board. Mm. Well, uh, thanks for the question. So what, what makes High Gear special is not what we do, but who we empower to do it. And what I mean by that is at the end of the day, uh, organizations all over the planet have a significant challenge with managing the most, uh, the, the most significant line item on their P&L and that is human capital, right? And figuring out whether they're actually harnessing it well or not. They have gauges and dashboards that can tell you whether they're using their pencils effectively and whether they've had to order over what they expected. And you ask them if their people are getting any work done with their time, and most of them go deer in the headlights and can't tell you. And uh, it's sort of that you know surprise people get where they say, hey, you know, we hit a downturn, we laid 15% of our people off and nothing changed. Or you know, they say, hey, we're under pressure and our managers are telling us we've got to hire 15% more people, but they can't prove they actually need the people. And, and so we see that challenge. And oftentimes the reality is that uh, trying to fix that problem um, when you contrast it 
with something like getting an e-commerce site up or a new way for your customers to self-subscribe, it's going to fall in line behind that with the IT department. So we've built a solution that's targeted again. It's not what you do, but who can do it at allowing business people and business analysts is really the business analyst brain. They usually are the ones who write the requirements and they go hand them to development uh, teams. We've actually given them tools necessary. So if the class of solution they're trying to build is work or workflow management at scale for large organizations, multi-department, multi-discipline, they do it themselves. Uh, they don't have to go wait in line. They do it themselves. And so they take that creativity they've already had, that Columbo mode of going and asking all the questions, the excitement they've got about envisioning the solution, instead of drawing it in diagrams and describing it in text and handing it to a development team that comes back six months later. And by the way, those development teams are short-staffed. They don't have any shortage of work to do. They don't look at us as a competitor. They're saying, we just cannot finish the work. And, and, and we hate that these internal needs keep getting backlogged or deprioritized because of those external facing things. So they're also excited when we come along and say, look, we've got something that actually works. It actually scales. It's actually secure. It's in use by the Department of Defense, some of the largest financial services and energy companies in the world. And, and yet your users can do it themselves, right? It's not like letting them run down the hallway with scissors. And it's not a boomerang. And by boomerang, I mean what a lot of IT departments see is they buy something that users are going to be able to use themselves. They fling it out. And about six to 18 months later, it comes back. Susie left. We don't know how to maintain this thing. And before you know it, the thing they thought they were buying for business to do self-service becomes a burden for them. So high gear really comes in and allows companies to get their teams in high gear, but to do it themselves. Like I said in the beginning, it's not what we do. We're not the only way to manage work. We're the fastest way to manage work, and we're the only way that we've found that business people can actually build these solutions and deploy them quickly, scalably, and sustainably by themselves. We'll be right back after this short break. I am delighted to announce that App Meetup's customers can now benefit from the presentation and speaking training courses with our integration and partnership with DSB Leadership Group. DSB Leadership Group is committed to providing training and resources to support professionals becoming more effective communicators and increase their impact and value. And that is the reason why App Meetup and DSB Leadership Group have formed a partnership to make sure that our MSPs, which is you, can be effective and powerful speakers in the community. Whether you are hosting a major conference, a specialized training, or a year-end corporate event, Finding the right keynote speaker or breakout speaker should be at the top of your priority list. Partner with Elite Speaker Services to book speakers according to your specifications and needs. Elite Speaker Services has the depth of speakers and the experience to bring you peace of mind and a successful event. Go to EliteSpeakerServices.com for all your event needs. Let us deliver the message your audience needs to hear. Let us deliver beyond your expectations. Thank you for listening to the Twins Talk It Up podcast. As a special thank you, we have an amazing offer for our listeners. 20% off products or services on our website. Just send us an email with the subject line podcast, and we will send you that special discount code at dsbleadershipgroup.com. And now, let's get back to the episode. Welcome back to Twins Talk It Up podcast. You know, Swift Systems was an IT services business that I loved. We built it up in the region. We became one of the largest providers in the entire DC Baltimore metro region. 
we were very fortunate to uh, you know, have a, a great offer come in and we knew we were gonna have to sell one company to the other to focus. And, and the truth is my passion is in this software. I love the customers. I love the kinds of problems we solve. And I've got a great team. And I talk about that in the book a little bit. It was an interesting thing. I, I, I was the benefactor of a great culture building up in one team and a mercenary culture building up in the other team of the two companies I was running at the same time. And seeing the difference taught me a lot about the importance of culture. I picked the team with the great culture. I didn't create that culture. I, I inherited it. And I've become a steward of it, trying to maintain it. And I now evangelize to people because of what I've seen, how important culture is. So that, that's why I did it. And that's what we do. So Vaughn, this is David. And I love that you've been able to build a successful organization, a successful company providing workflow automation tools that practically anyone can use. What I also want to say is this, we're going to get into your book here in a minute, and I've known you for quite some time, and you're one of the most authentic, genuine, real leaders that you own challenges, you own the things that don't go well, and you celebrate the people that are around you, and I can't wait to talk about that. And right, right here for our audience, if you're listening to our program, and you know you're going to love this guest of ours Make sure you download this episode, subscribe to our program, and follow along as we continue to bring leaders like Vaughn on. Well, Vaughn, you are the chief evangelist for a reason. You are out here championing and pushing forward not just an incredible program, not just an incredible platform, but you're pushing forward incredible ideas. And what I want to talk about as we dig into your book, because Dan and I recently came out with our own book called Talk It Up a guide to successful public speaking, we wanted to put out a resource that entrepreneurs, that executives, that professionals can grab and say, I wanna add this to my toolbox. I wanna be able to sharpen my professional's communication skills. I wanna learn how to increase my confidence, overcome speaking anxiety. I want this to be a tool to help my professional growth. You wrote a book and in your book, it's titled Lessons from the Edge of Business Disaster. And I love this because here in the subtitle, you said it's a leader's guide to survival and recovery. You put your whole heart into this book. You talk about your challenges, your failures. You talk about the successes that you've had. And I really can't wait to dig into this book. And I just want to share with our audience today, if you're looking for a guide to help you to avoid mistakes, this is a great book. I tell you this, you can make the mistakes on your own and fall on your face, but why not pick up a guidebook to learn from others? who've gone down that path, who've made the mistakes, who've trialed through trial and error, had incredible success. This is one of those books. Vaughn, I'm so excited to be able to dig in this book. Let me ask you this without giving away the obvious. What inspired you to finally write this book? Well, that's a great question. Uh, the, the truth is that there was a very long period, a very long dark period where I struggled with the only thing that's worse than failing in business, which is to go sideways. And I didn't start going sideways until I had depleted all of our resources. We, we really had no cash reserves. We'd tapped out the line of credit. In fact, at, at one point it got worse and that the bank called the line of credit. And you know we were, we were just in very difficult circumstances. And, and throughout that whole period, I kept feeling like a guy who was walking through a dark room full of randomly located furniture in bare feet, right? I was stubbing my toes hard. And I was sort of either afraid to move forward because so many things kept going wrong, 
or I would get agitated and say, I've got to move forward. And I would just stub my toes again. And, and I remember many times really crying out to God saying, you know, I need a mentor to come along. I need somebody to show me where the, the furniture is in this dark room and help me get around it. And, and ultimately, I, I needed to be humbled before I was actually ready to receive mentorship. And so there's kind of that story in the book of how I had to learn to be a more humble leader. And I had to learn how to genuinely come to people and be willing to ask them questions, right? But when I got through the end of that exercise, there was a part of me that looked back and realized that while I felt very alone at that time, um, I wanted to share the story on the off chance that maybe anybody else out of these wonderfully successful business people that I knew all around in my business community, maybe one of them had been through this and would relate. Maybe one of them might be able to avoid it if I shared the story. And I shared the story and I had several people within a handful of days, the first time I ever did a presentation on lessons from the edge. It's actually what I called the presentation, right? Mm -hmm. um, come up within 24 hours and sort of quietly disclose uh, Vaughn, I'm going through exactly the same thing. And I wouldn't have told anybody that except that you shared what was going on. And it began to make me realize, right, there's, a, there's an old line in life that you can either be an example or a warning sign. And the best way I was going to be an example was to first be a warning sign, right? Like if I, if I wanted to get out and say, hey, look at me, I sold a company and I'm doing all kinds of great things now, that I was going to sound like everybody else that sounds like Charlie Brown. And so knowing that entrepreneurs are risk takers, which means, you know, risk leads you to either reward or, and since most businesses fail, what's the or, right? Risk or failure. And so, so, so the, the thing that's worse than failure is getting to failure because you'll do everything you can while you're sliding down that sliding board not to get to the bottom. And it can be a very difficult, very lonely, very dark period. And, and having gone through that uh, and, and beginning to realize how many people were going through it and felt like they couldn't talk to anybody, I said, if I've got to make a fool out of myself to get out there and talk about just how badly I ran a business, just how difficult it was for me to turn around from my own mistakes, if, if it helps one person Right. Because, you know, I, I look at I mean, th that journey was so difficult that there were times I thought, is it even worth it to get up out of bed today? Is it even worth it to live? Right. And, and if I can help one person who's feeling alone, see that there's light at the end of the tunnel and it ain't a train. You can get through this. It may be hard, but you can get through this. That's really why I wrote the book. I, I ultimately have learned uh, that that if you live transparently and authentically, people are drawn to your strengths. Uh, right, I'm sorry. Yeah, people admire your strengths, but they're drawn to your weaknesses. And, and so the real the reality is, you know, I can't have a genuine relationship, even if it's through a book, I can't have a genuine relationship with somebody if I'm only going to give them the paper cutout version of myself. I wrote this book to give them the real version of me and say, do not look at me as somebody who's hit the success. And I'm not like you look at me as somebody who is exactly like you and has been through the fear of looking up at the ceiling, counting the cracks in the paint, wondering how I'm going to make payroll tomorrow when I don't have the money in the bank, right? And, 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 and I'm going to tell you all the things that I saw staring over that cliff that you hope never to look over if you're planning and getting into business. If you're in business and already hanging on the cliff, I'm going to tell you where the trees are on the side of it to climb back up with. And, and if you are you know, stuck over the edge of that cliff, believing there's no hope, I want to reach a hand down and tell you there's hope. That's, that's really the purpose for the book. Vaughn, this is David again, and I appreciate you sharing that. And one of the things that I loved about the book early on, you have in there your fatal errors. 
and I love this. You talk about your fatal error of concentration, uh, the unnecessary overhead, which I my my twin helped me with last year. Mm. Distractions, and probably one of the most humbling was when you were talking about just the you wish your children had better shoes and how hard it was to tell your wife about the challenges that were before you and that the bank may be count, uh, calling back their loan. I mean, I just love how real this was. And it goes into your first chapter and your first chapter, and by the way, you built your book around these lessons, right? That's why it's called Lessons from mm -hmm. the Edge. And in the first chapter, you talk about the truth will set you free. You know, we all know that scripture from John 8, 31, 32. And so we talk about how being able to get to a point where you accept truth, that's when you, you start to see this freedom. That's when you start to see this, this path. So Vaughn, I got to ask you this, when it comes to your book, you touch also on this, at least you mentioned this in the very beginning, that there's good counsel. And that was your second lesson. And I think people don't realize what that means. Good counsel isn't someone who tells you what you want to hear, who just pats you on the back and fluffs you up and, and tells you the greatest thing ever. How do you define good counsel? And talk about the value of good counsel for, let's say, an entrepreneur or a company executive. Yeah, well, let me let me answer it in a couple of ways. First of all, uh, you know, Proverbs says that wounds from a friend can mm. be trusted, but an enemy multiplies kisses, right? It, it, it isn't really all that useful to have a fan club when you're going through hell, right? You need some people that'll tell you where that dark furniture is. Uh, Proverbs also says that a wise man seeks the counsel of many. And, and, and here's, the, here's the reality, um, that many needs to be qualified based on the kind of counsel you're seeking, right? And so that's an implied thing that many people don't consider. But, you know, if you had a drinking problem, you probably wouldn't go into a bar room to seek the counsel of many. You, you might certainly get the counsel of many, but they're not many qualified in there to give you counsel. And, and so the challenge for entrepreneurs is it can often be very difficult to find good counsel. Some will go to their pastor and say, you know, I trust my pastor, but their pastor, now there are plenty of pastors who have great business experience and good crossovers, and that's great. But, but if your pastor's got, uh, you know, a degree in teaching and a degree in counseling, it doesn't mean they have any idea how to help you with your balance sheet, which really is at risk of sinking you, right? And, and so the challenge is, that your counsel needs to be qualified and your counsel also needs to be motivated towards the same self-interests that you've got. Not, not that you're trying to be selfish, but the best way to do that is, you know, everybody has value to bring. And so when you look at a value exchange relationship, it's very different uh, than what I would call the shamans, right? And so I, I talk about that term a lot that there's a lot of shamans in the business marketplace, people who will take advantage of struggling entrepreneurs. When an entrepreneur has a great product but can't figure out how to connect customers to it, there are people who say, you know, I have all the answers. Just start my $3,000 a month fee and you'll see everything will get better. And, and oftentimes, one of the ways that you can identify, not always, it's, it's an axiom, not a universal truth, but, but you'll find that there are people who are really good at asking tough questions that you have no way of answering. And then leaving it implied that if you would start paying my fee, you would be able to answer those questions. And you may find out three months or six months later after paying those fees that answering those questions doesn't have anything to do with getting yourself through the situation you're in, right? So good counsel is qualified counsel. And, and that doesn't mean that somebody has to have a bigger business than you or be in the exact same business as you. If, you're, if your concern is that you're taking risks, then the counsel you need is from someone who takes risks. 
if your concern is leadership, you need counsel from someone who leads. If your concern is financial management, you need concern with someone who is financially responsible or counsel from someone who's financially responsible. And so, you know, there are a variety of groups out there. And, and obviously, I've got a leaning towards the Christian groups. The C12 group is a great roundtable of Christian CEOs uh, here in Maryland. And I think in Florida, there's the CXP group. Uh, there's another group I'm aware of called One Trust. I've heard of ones called Compass. On the secular side, the alternative board is, is one of them. And, and so there's a variety of these where you can find, you know, other leaders that were sort of round table together. And you may go into one of those situations when you're in a business crisis thinking, you know, why would I want to take a day off a month to go sit around a table with a bunch of other leaders or business owners? But, you know, and what do I have to offer them? Well, first of all, they have a tremendous amount to offer you if you're in a genuine environment. Uh, and you have a lot to offer them because everybody who fails in business has probably succeeded at 93 things and just has six more to go to get to 100%. And, and business is like cake. It doesn't work with some of the ingredients. You can't leave out the oil or the eggs. It just doesn't work, right? You got to get to all the ingredients. So if you're coming in with 96, there might be somebody else in there who's got 96 different ones and you're going to sharpen each other. But that only happens if you're transparent. If you come into a parade club or a peacock club, get out of there. If you come into an environment, a round table, or if you even just ask a group of friends to get together and you sense they're putting up the peacock feathers and telling you everything's going great. If they're giving you their paper cut out, it's probably not going to work unless you can break the ice and break that down. You know, so the reality is you need qualified counsel from people who take, uh, you know, who have their experience from similar challenges and you need to be in a transparent environment where when someone tells you uh, what, what their challenges are, you begin to feel more comfortable telling them what your challenges are. I think that's a little bit longer. This is Danny. I want to um, touch on another lesson. You've done a great job on lesson one and two. The two is uh, more about the council. Lesson 10, you know, you say the best way out is through. And the COVID-19 pandemic, it hit our world pretty hard. It, really messed up everybody all over the world. Small businesses, big businesses, consumers, it doesn't matter who you are. According to the U.S. Federal Reserve, more than 200,000 U.S. businesses closed their doors. And David and I are part of a nonprofit really trying to help build up the inner city communities and help build up some of the smaller businesses as well. And we do this every single day now during the pandemic, and it's been fantastic. But when times like this happen, quitting or dissolving might seem like the only course of action. But in your book, specifically on page 188, you make the point that sometimes those reasons are valid, but that you encourage owners to respond by slowing down and to, of course, evaluate all the information available before making their next move. It's like a chess game, right? Can you speak to the value of pressing the pause button? We have all been pressed and pushed in this little pressure cooker. And it's a challenge to think that you know, at this time, I can think logically, I can think rashly, but why press pause? Yeah. I, I have a good friend who owns a uh, distribution business in, in the region. And, uh, you know, when, when the COVID lockdowns happened, uh, he was part of a round table that I was in. We got together the following month and he was ready to take action. I've got a plan. I've got the knife out. We're going to cut half the staff. I got to get it over with. I've been through this before. And, 
you know, and I said, hey, slow, slow down, slow down. There might be options coming up in here. How much runway do you have? And, you know, he said, ah, you know, we never have more than eight weeks. We're always, you know, counting on business and everything is just shut down. It's all stopped. And, and I said, okay, but, but doesn't that at least give you a couple of weeks to think? Right. Like, you know, what if in six weeks it's back? And, it, and we all know it wasn't right. But what if in six weeks it's back? But a handful of weeks later, uh, the first round of the PPP loans came out. Right. Which which certainly gave him a whole lot of breathing room. Um, there were a variety of SBA programs that came out very quickly. But but the reality is that even though the world was sort of closed down, well, the folks that he distributed his product to were kind of small team construction shops that said, hey, we're gonna, we're gonna get back in there and keep working on this stuff. It's just a couple of us in the room. We're willing to take our chances. We can't afford not to make a living. And since they went back to work, they needed more of his product. And, and so the reality is, I, I call them paper tigers. The paper tiger that came up and roared at him and said, I'm going to shut you down. You're gonna lose your home and your retirement and everything. You better start chopping the business down right now was just a paper tiger. And, and so there are times, like I said, there, there are times that all of the obstacles that you're going to face are real and you, and you owe it to yourself to process them and make the hard decisions, right? But, but sometimes those real obstacles can be overcome if you'll give yourself the time to think. Our alligator brain, as they call it, or our fight or flight response is just that. It's, it's something that responds to the sound of hearing a snake. And that's a natural response. We hear a snake in the grass, we're going to freeze and turn around and go into a panic. Our blood rate goes up and, you know, our organs begin to prepare for the run. Uh, but, but the reality is we can also turn around and realize it was a squirrel, mm -hmm. right? And so if we don't give our ourselves the time to process the information, we can find ourselves running from squirrels. And, and, you know, what I learned going through a lot of this stuff is there were so many existential moments. There were times that absolutely critical vendors that we could not live without called and said, you guys have been behind by 90 days or we're cutting you off from shipments tomorrow. And, you know, we're in an IT managed services business and the idea that we couldn't get parts to fix customers equipment. Well, you know, how are we a service provider if we can't provide service? Even those created circumstances that look existential are sometimes negotiable. And so when we said, there's no way we can do that, and we'd hate to lose you as a vendor. We're not going out of business. You know, you, you may sell us a million dollars worth of product in the next four or five years, or you may sell us zero. We're, we're both in a losing situation here. What's the minimum we can send you and get through this? And they said the whole thing or nothing. And we said, well, we, we can't do that. Uh, we really hate the fact that we're going to have to shop with other vendors. And so we did. We shopped with other vendors and, and we paid five or 6% more for these things that we may have only had a 10 or 20% markup on for a couple months, but where we looked at panic in the morning, by the afternoon, we realized, okay, that's a ding in our margin, but, but you know, it is what it is. And we're gonna to continue to be faithful to them and we're gonna do the best we can to pay them as, as funds come along. You, you sometimes have a lot of options, but because we build up in our mind a narrative of how things should go, if, if things don't go that way, we start to believe, well, that was my only option. And, and so the great story that I got this from uh, was a, uh, you know, a, a, a team in the military that came over the hill in Afghanistan. And the moment they came over the hill, they began to, to take fire. And uh, they were well-trained and they knew that they were not supposed to stand up and start shooting back. They were supposed to drop down to the ground, get cover and begin counting. 
They were counting how many places did I hear bullets coming from. They were supposed to get their act together. They quietly got on the radio and reported, were they all okay? Was anybody hit, right? They, they thought, they plotted, they figured out what direction it was coming from. This is a true story. I wish I could remember the man's name so people could go look it up on YouTube. But he went over the hill with eight people. They were being attacked, they think, by 28 to 30 terrorists. And, and they survived the day because they took the time to think, to plot, and to plan. And when they responded, they responded strategically, even though they were in a tactical disaster. Hmm. And, and so, you know, that, that's the whole thing that I've learned is uh, your reactions in panic to what seems like a, a, a set of bad news with no escape can actually seal your fate to where you have no escape. But your slowing down, taking a deep breath, and looking at the circumstances makes a big difference. The reality is there were so many existential moments in this story from 2007 when that happened to 2012, when we finally began to get the business to turn around. We lived in a constant state of existential threat. But I learned no matter how bad the news, no matter how bad the challenge, that, that making a rapid decision in panic because somebody demanded it never worked out. An yeah. employee that said, give me a raise today or I'm quitting. A vendor that said, give me all your money today or I'll never ship you goods again, right? You, you have to slow down. And, and honestly, in my case, I had to learn to trust God. Mm. I, I had to learn that I could make better decisions if I yep. gave myself time to go talk to the real boss and, and get that real good counsel. Vaughn, this is David and I appreciate you sharing that. And it really gives our audience a bigger picture of what was going on. And that's really what you don't hear a lot in books. And when you get a sense of what's going on in an organization, you don't see that picture. And in that chapter that you were alluding to, you talk about the point that there's something worse or a fate far worse than failure. And this is what you mentioned earlier. Mm -hmm. It's going sideways. It's, yeah. it's that paralysis by analysis, it's that being stuck. And what you're showing our audience is that you 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 can't just sit there and think that something's going to change. You got to be proactive. You got to think differently. And so, we know right now when you're building and scaling a business that there's no such thing as an empire of one. You mentioned this earlier about you, in some ways, are a steward of the people that are around you, the people that you put on your staff, the people that you put on your team. And I will say this, for a lot of organizations, when you're starting off as an entrepreneur, it may feel like it's just you. But as you start to bring in incredible talent and you start accomplishing incredible goals, you know this is about teamwork. So Vaughn, can you talk briefly about trust, empowerment, bringing on the right talent onto your team? Can you talk about how building the right team helps you to continue to scale and build a great business? Yeah, I, I mean, one of the things that I think is absolutely key that I learned uh, is you have to have people around you who, who, who will tell you what you don't want to hear. And, and so that really requires as a leader that you create an environment where people are welcomed to do that. And, and that's hard, right? Because most of us get into business or get into leadership because we're confident in ourselves and our ideas, and we want to be forceful. We want to be an evangelist, right? We want to persuade people. But, but the reality is we also need to have an open ear to be persuaded and an open heart that we may not always have the best answer. Um, and that also means that we're going to have to bring people, bring people in that are trustworthy. Mm -hmm. uh, it, it doesn't make a lot of sense to just trust someone because they're giving you advice that's counter to what your gut is telling you. It, it makes sense that you bring people in who you've selected because of their character. And so skills are a necessity. 
but character is the indicator for probable success. So skills are required, right? But, but character is what's going to allow you to leverage those skills. So if you have someone who has good character and they're telling you, I think you're making the wrong decision, then this is another one of those opportunities where it's not about, are they right? Am I wrong? Or am I right? And they're wrong. You know, it's, it's slow down and process the information. Let me take the night and absorb what you're saying. I was very confident this is what we should do. And I may still be the same way tomorrow and I may want to persuade you, but I'm not gonna do it until I've had a chance unemotionally. And I'm emotional now because I was ready to go and you're slowing me down, right? You know, when I'm unemotional, I'm gonna process it and I'm gonna come back. And so I think uh, it's really crucial that 51% of your hiring criteria is the fit and character of the people. And that 49% is their match for the requirements of the job. And by the way, the 49% is absolutely required. You can't hire somebody that isn't skilled for a skilled worker position, right? But, but if you find someone who is a 100 on the skill side and a zero on the character side, you have not found your employee. Vaughn, lesson number five in your book, it's entitled The Mystery of Leadership. In my world, I focus much of my time on the mindset of executives and business leaders. What have you learned about yourself and your own leadership through this journey? Yeah, what, what a great question. Um, and, and forgive me for another segue, but uh, you, you mentioned the fact that you study leadership and the title of your book is, you know, Twins Talk It Up. Uh, I just want to be an advertisement for the credibility of that. Uh, you know, my, I took my daughter to hear David speak uh, one time. And on the way home, she told me, your friend is one of the best speakers I've ever heard in my whole life. And I wow. said, I told you, aren't you glad you got in the car with me today, right? <laughs> you know, um, so listen, this is something that you guys know well, you've got a high degree of credibility. So I appreciate being on and I appreciate the question. There's levels of leadership. Uh, you know, I, I subscribe to that concept that, right, the first level is you're a manager because somebody's put you in that title and, and you can climb your way up from there. And, and the reality is that lots of people have leadership gifts, but they also have leadership liabilities. And, and so the, the thing that gets us in trouble is that we come in with our strengths and a strength that's overplayed. And somebody said this to me one time, and it took me a few years to actually process it and apply it to myself. But the strengths that are overapplied become a weakness. And so let me give you a practical example of that. Uh, one of the things that I think I'm good at, and I don't know, my people would have to tell you if it's true or not, but one of the things I think I'm good at is pepping people up. I can give them that inspirational talk, right? Like I can see we've got the big mountain to climb. We've got this challenge at a big customer and, and it's gonna take everything we can do against this deadline to do what they're asking us to do. An engaged team is not a team that's heard your pump up speech in my case and gotten engaged. It's a team that's been engaged to exercise their gifts. And so what I realized as a leader is that I was very confident in myself and I studied my strengths and I tried to figure out how to leverage them, but I wasn't studying my people and I wasn't studying their gifts and I wasn't trying to figure out how to leverage them. I was working towards the model of a genius with a thousand helpers instead of someone who was helping a thousand geniuses. Uh. And, and when I turned that around, and, and began to look at people as assets to me and, and instead of liabilities, right? Then I began to say, we have a crisis. My gift is short-lived. I'm going to bring you in a room, clarify you, focus you, tell you you can do this. 
but then I'm going to start to delegate and coordinate and orchestrate other people bringing their gifts to bear here. You know, when I look back, I realized that there were a lot of these areas where I would employ a lot of short-term tactics and not know why they didn't work over the long term. Like, you know, getting really animated and angry over something. And, and I can still be passionate. I'm very passionate about things getting done right. But, but, you know, belittling someone may work once as they go, God, I never want that to happen again. And they go running out and fix the problem. But around the third to the 30th time, depending on the thickness of the skin they've got, mm -hmm. they're going to be at the point where they're going to say, okay, I stand there. I endure this. I feel belittled in front of my coworkers and I can't wait for it to be over so I can go work on my resume. And, and so what I had to learn as a leader is that this was not the Vaughn Thurman show, right? If, if you're, if you're really leading people, yeah. you're assessing them, you're, you're helping them define their gifts, you're helping them leverage and, and engage their gifts. And ultimately your goal should be to get to a point where you're hardly needed, yeah. um, where you find yourself doing uh, by the way, the reason I call myself the high gear evangelist is because there's everybody that, you know, I've hired people that are doing all kinds of things within their areas of gifting. And the only thing that's left for me to do that somebody here isn't better at is, is to evangelize people about the capabilities of our product. And I love nice. doing it. Nice. This is David Vaughn. And I love that. And I'll share this for our listening audience. I've been around Vaughn quite a few times. I've been in his office. I've been and meetings where he's interacted with his employees and he treats them all with that incredible level of intrigue with curiosity he treats them with this level of respect and they can speak their heart and their mind because that's how you help organizations become more dynamic that's how you help them to scale you have to bring diversity of thought you have to welcome that now Vaughn I want to I want to throw in something here because there's so much going on with your book and I think people will grab this and instantly relate to the different stages and places you've been in your, your business career. But you provide in there 16 key takeaways, the steps to your own turnaround. And I love this because this is kind of a summary recap of your whole guidebook. Mm -hmm. Now, there are a couple in there that really stood out to me. And I'm going to ask you, in your own personal experience, which of these did you find to be the most challenging for those you've either shared this with as a, other entrepreneurs or even maybe for yourself? But I particularly found that numbers nine and 15 stand out. And, and number nine is learn to say no. And number 15 is sacrifice pride, save your reputation. Now, the reason why number 15 is obvious, I think for a lot of people that are type A that are driven, they instantly think, oh, I got to make it about myself, pump myself up, make it look good. No, you better stop sometimes because you're going to ruin your reputation. But number nine hit me because for a lot of us, we don't know how to say no. Uh, were there any key takeaways that you felt were more challenging for those that you shared this with or maybe that maybe stood out for you? Learning to say no. I share a story in the book. I won't go through all the details here, but, you know, we, we had a uh, multi-billion dollar company when, you know, we could have used a $10,000, $20,000 order saying, if you'll just do this $20,000 worth of work for us for free, you'll open up an opportunity to serve us in what could be a multi-billion dollar contract as a key vendor. And, you know, I, I, I scared the daylights out of some people in my team by taking a stand that if they think we're worth zero now, how will we convince them of anything different if we agree? <laughs> you know, and, and we needed the money, right? We, we did. We needed the money even for, 
the engagement project, but but I just I, I stood my ground. Um, you know, I, I've had a maverick confidence because this was a difficult time for us. We had not made it out of the woods yet, but I, I've just learned with human nature mm -hmm. that you can train your customers or your customers will train you. Mm -hmm. And if your customer tells you you're worth zero and you agree by saying, okay, okay, well, let's just, we'll do this for free, but then you're agreeing I'm going to get the contract, right? They're going to feel bad about giving you the contract later because they're going to think, you know, the right price I feel good about is what I paid last time, which was zero. Uh, so I said, no. And the, the woman was famously, she's a formidable lady. She was very quiet. I had a coworker in the room in this, you know, this particular conversation. And she asked him, did you hear what just happened? <laughs> Do you agree? Right? He was silent. You know, and she says to me, is that your final answer? I said, yeah. She was theatrical. She gave it 10 seconds of silence. We were on a conference call. And she said, then fine, we'll pay you. She said, my boss told me to try to get it for free, and I told him I would, and he knew I was capable. And she told my coworker, she said, uh, do you know what just happened here? You just learned that no will make you money. So she came to the table prepared to pay the price we had already proposed, but was convincing us that there was a billion dollars worth of work hiding behind the curtain of self-compromise and devaluation of what we did. Um, there have been many, many stories like that. But, you know, at the end of the day, what I've learned is, you know, saying no to hiring somebody that has the right skills, but doesn't have the character to fit your organization feels like it hurts when you're desperate to fill that chair. But it ends up benefiting the organization because over time you build a cohesive culture of people who get along. When you say no to a customer who says your price should be lower or zero, or can't you cut some corners and make this a low quality job? Because I'll be fine if you're convinced there is no bar below X that you can go to that is acceptable to sell. You know, when you say no to those things, it can damage you in the moment. But over the time, uh, over the course of time, it builds up that credibility that if you say yes, you meant it. And, and so part of that biblical thing of let your yes be yes mm -hmm. is let your no be no, right? Somebody needs to know that if you tell me, yes, I think that's great, I can trust it. Because if I asked you, do you think this is a good idea? Even if you don't want to hurt my feelings, you'll say, no, that's not a good idea, right? We'll be right back after this short break. We want to thank our sponsor for today's episode, Paul Jackowitz of pauljackowitz.com. For all your website design and management needs, visit Paul Jackowitz. That's Paul, J-A-C-K-I-E-W-I-C-Z.com. Are you projecting the right image to your market? Are you optimizing your name recognition and presence online? Elite Public Image is a leader in strategic communications and marketing solutions, ranging from public relations, brand communications, and content marketing strategy to social media and reputation management for businesses, professionals, and VIPs of all types. Whether you're looking to develop a spectacular brand or need a brand refresh, look no further than Elite Public Image. Visit ElitePublicImage.com and let Elite put their experience to work for you. Thank you for listening to the Twins Talk It Up podcast. As a special thank you, we have an amazing offer for our listeners for a free consultation over the next two weeks. 
visit our website and schedule your free 30-minute consultation. And now, let's get back to the episode. Welcome back to Twins Talk It Up podcast. The other one, sacrifice your pride to save your reputation. I learned the hard way because in the course of trying to maintain my pride, I was also damaging my reputation. And an example of that is, you know, I was too proud to admit to people that I had no way to pay them. So I would dance and say, you know, look, uh, next week, we'll have that over to you next week. Trust me here, just ship that stuff today that could sort of talk about vendor relationships or, you know, see the landlord in the hallway and, hey, man, we're turning the corner. Things are getting a lot better. We'll have this straightened out a couple of weeks here. You know, we'll get caught up. I had no way to make that true. And, and unfortunately, I had to learn to sacrifice my pride to repair my reputation. But what it taught me after I got through that, and I began to have, you know, new relationships where expectations that I fully believed I could set for someone, we weren't able to deliver. I knew that I needed to get in front of them quickly and say, I am really sorry to have to tell you this. But I thought we'd be able to get this done for you by the third, we've had vendor problems. I've had a staff member quit. None of these are your fault. And and none of these, I'm not asking for grace in any of these things, but I'm telling you, I'm not going to be able to make it. And I don't want to wait until we get to that point. And I've had so many customers say that stinks, but I appreciate the call. Mm -hmm. I've had vendors say, you know, when, when you say, Hey, I I know we're already 30 days over our 30 day terms, but I didn't want to wait for you to have to call me to tell you that we're working on a project that I don't think we're going to get the next big payment for, for two months. And, and I'd love to tell you, we got a check on the way, or there's one coming next week, but with us trying to keep the lights on and keep people paid, I really need your grace. I need another two months. And they'd say, there's no way we can go another two months. Right. Again, I'd count on them slowing down. They'd think through over the next day or two, it's not worth losing the customer over this. And they'd call back and say, well, you're going to have to pay some extra. I'd say, okay, it's fair. Right. I, you know, and, and, but, but because I had sacrificed my pride and been humble enough to tell them, I need you and I need your help. What is the trigger in you? And we assume that in business, because people are hard and cold and they've got to focus on the numbers, they don't have it, but they're human beings. And even if they are like that, give them the deference. You, you've dropped the ball on them. Humble up and let them be upset with you. Let them tell you how bad it sucks. And so having done this the wrong way, I learned that it's absolutely critical when you're in these situations where you know you're at least part of the problem, own as much of it as you possibly can, get out in front of it and watch what happens. We're all afraid that if somebody finds out we're weak and that we need help, they're going to dump us. They don't. Clients will stay with you and find a way to work with you. They'll even try to find you more work. Because, because they're so used to being lied to and getting the paper cut out and the fluff that you're suddenly going to be the only vendor they've got a relationship with where everybody else they've got transactions with. All right. This is Danny. And I really appreciate the detail and the breakdown, the honesty. Uh, you said at the very end of the day, they're going to work with you. They love the honesty. They love the relationship. And it's not just a, uh, just a transaction. This is mm-hmm. deeper than that. One of the things that I love um, that the work that you're doing is the same thing that I do with my background and we have an IT company. We have uh, actually an IT services training company and we actually started a nonprofit. I'm on a board of a nonprofit. We started working and giving back to the tech community. Mm -hmm. And our goal is to help tax raise an additional hundred million dollars worth over additional revenue over the next three years, uh, create 800 new tech jobs. And of course do a thousand digital transformations on the inner cities across America. And it's been fantastic. been great. You have the same passion in the tech community as well, because you're serve on a board 
and supports entrepreneurs in your incubator, the regional incubator you're part of. Real quick, just tell our audience a little bit about why you're passionate about the tech community and the entrepreneur community and giving back. I sure. thought it was very important. It's people that are going out and taking risks and figuring out how to get the hard things done, whether it's, you know, competing in the Olympics for some, whether it's trying to be the greatest singer in the world for others. Entrepreneurialism is the same way. It's, it's going out and saying, at least in my world, however big that is, whether it's your neighborhood where you're opening up your retail store, whether it's the entire world, if you're going to compete in software, whether it's your region, if you're going to be a managed services provider, you know, I'm going to try to be the best in my world. at something that's complicated and it's hard. It's really hard because to do that means you not only have to be a technical expert at the thing that you're trying to do, whether it's marketing or managed services or whatever else, but you've got to learn to manage your books. You've got to learn to manage people. You got to learn to hire and fire. And, and I think the aloneness that people can get into in some of these situations is a real tragedy. And I think the best solution for it is for people in business to engage proactively and say, I'm going to go volunteer time at the local incubator. I'm going to start a nonprofit to bring, uh, you know, tech leaders together or entrepreneurs together. And I think engaging in that training is a big deal. Like, uh, you know, that people say that, that people don't buy from people they like, they buy from people they learn from. Right. And so, so just like you can be a leader in sales by actually educating people and giving them lots of knowledge and information, the truth is you can build relationships with people as well by giving them information and training. And so my goal is always the same here. You know, I'm always trying to support entrepreneurs because at the end of the day, they are a, a group of people that are willing to take risks that others aren't willing to take. And they can influence so much in the marketplace and in the community that if you want to, uh, if you want to change the world, you can do it one person at a time, or you can do it one leader at a time, and you can get whole swaths of the community in that way. And, and that's why. So thanks for noticing that. I, I agree. Uh, and I share the same respect back that you guys put time into that. It's, it's a valuable thing, and it does return uh, on investment. Vaughn, this is David, and I want to thank you for what you've shared. Thank you for the continued work that you do. I know you've invited me to some of these uh, meetings that you've had with other tech leaders and their companies, and I appreciate even the vision that you had to be able to say, I've got to put what I've gone through out there. You have a message of hope. You have a book that's relatable because there are many, many organizations that have had this struggle. They felt like they were in this story. And whether it's through this health pandemic or through just bad mistakes that they've made or just unfortunate circumstances, this is an incredible guidebook to help them to see that not only can they get through this, but there are some practical, practical advice on what they could do to leverage their current relations, what they could do to work with their banks, where they can find more capital to continue to grow their organizations that they love and they put their hearts into. If you want to know more about Vaughn and you want to learn about his organization, go ahead and visit his company at highgear.com and make sure that you go to Amazon, you go to the various sites and pick up a copy of his book, Lessons from the Edge of Business Disaster, A Leader's Guide to Survival. Vaughn, thank you for being my friend. Thank you for being on our program. <laughs> yeah. And we look forward to having you back on. We look forward to hearing more and more about the success that people are going to have by looking at your book. Thank you, Vaughn, for being here with us. Thank you. Thank you again for the opportunity. Appreciate it very much. Thank you for listening to the Twins Talk It Up podcast. 
please subscribe and follow us on Instagram at DSP Leadership and visit us online at dspleadershipgroup.com to learn more about our workshops and trainings. We will see you on the next episode of the Twins Talk It Up podcast.